Well, what a morning. <clears throat> okay, turning your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, I want to I talk this morning regarding a condition that has crept into the church that we as our community want to just stand so strongly against and usher in freedom over that because it, it really is limiting to the kingdom of God and it is it diminishes. So let's read from Philippians 2 and I want to read the first 16 verses. And it's, it's Paul speaking and he says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. That was a, a, a thing in the, that was so predominant in the New Testament church. There was this unity of spirit um, and, and one accord and one mind with what they were doing. And if you read the book of Acts, it, it gives great definition and, and example of what the apostles actually did, what the disciples actually did, because they were in one, one accord, because of what the Holy Spirit had ministered to them. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition, or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. That's what Brad was talking about earlier on. And being formed, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him, has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That is the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life 
so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or laboured in vain. So that's, that's awesome instruction. And the thing that I want to speak against this morning, of which I believe that that passage of Scripture speaks about so clearly, is to go against the tide of consumerism and entitlement. What are you talking about, Mal? What is consumerism? This is church. Come on. This is what is consumerism and entitlement? Well, it's an attitude that has crept into the church of where we actually go church shopping. We shop for things within the church. And we actually have this expectation that the church has to meet our needs rather than us develop or, or us take an attitude that we have something to contribute to the church. And we want to we just obliterate that attitude and, and release a wholeness of what it means to be true sons and daughters of the living God. Because when you have, if you have an orphan spirit, then what you'll do is you'll go church shopping. You'll go shopping for things that will tickle your ears, that will, um, that will affirm you in your state or in your condition. And the sad part of that is, is that if that's the case, you will never come into wholeness and healing. God's desire for you is that you actually come into a place of wholeness and healing, of freedom, as a true son and daughter of the living God. So I want to give you a definition of consumerism. It's a social and economic order and ideology that encourages the acquisition of goods and services in ever-increasing amounts. It is the preoccupation of society within, with the acquisition of consumer goods. And if we look around in our society at the moment, this is at an all-time high of where we are pursuing things. And we're not pursuing him. We need to change our focus. Entitlement is the belief that one is inherently observing or deserving of privileges or special treatment. And you find that a lot in, in the body of Christ where people have served for a long time in the church and they have this attitude that the church owes me something. I have given them the best years of my life. And they've, they've actually lost sight of what participation in the body of Christ is all about. One of the things that we've, we've uh, been establishing as our community is our core values and our mission statement and all of that. And so far, we've come up with some three very important aspects. That our community is a place to belong. It's a family. It's a place where we can grow. There is, 
there is a sense of discipleship of how we of how we come into the reality of a relationship with a loving caring God and how he has equipped us for life and then there is a sense that we can actually go with what we know with what we have laid hold of we actually are sent out we go out we don't just contain it to the four walls of this building the church is not a building it's the people it's the body of Christ there's actually been incredible growing trends in Christian circles and I guess predominantly you see it in the mega churches where the the consumerism and the entitlement attitude is just rife but it, it spreads through all of society and so as I said we want to be intentional about the culture that we foster here Essentially, it's a, it's a never-ending desire to possess material goods and material wealth. But the, the problem is, is that every time you get something more, it's okay for a little bit and then it leaves you empty. I used to go on this cycle all the time of where I would, I would set my mind and my heart to, a, to uh, purchase something and I would save like crazy, I would get that thing, and it would just float my boat for about a month. And then I would be on to the next thing. I tell you what, that's, it's not a good place to be, because you're never satisfied. You're always looking for something else to, to fill that void. And trust me, I've tried everything to stick into that void to fill that void relationships possessions motorbikes stereos nothing has filled that void it does for a moment but then you come up empty again that was until my mate fell off a bar stool in a pub up in North Queensland. He broke his wrist. He went away for six weeks. He came back a different man. I was actually on the run at that time trying to get away from God. I went to, the, to a, a small mining town in Greenvale. Running, running from God, running from church, running from my parents. And how's the goodness of God? That through a mate who fell off a bar stool, blind, rotten, drunk, broke his wrist, he goes away for six weeks, comes back a changed man. I went around to him and I said, man, come on, let's go up the pub and celebrate. And he pulled a little New Testament Bible out of his pocket and he said, I'm not doing that anymore, Mal. I'm living for Jesus. You know what my response was? Man, I came here to get away from this crap. But what it caused me to do was it caused me to watch him. And I watched him like a hawk. 
There would be nights where I would, I'd come home from the pub at Stumps. I'd go in my room and between the, I guess, the, the, the spinning room and, and um, all sorts of stuff, <clears throat> I would cry my heart out to God. I'd put on old records. Keith Green, he used to, it was just like um, you would put Keith Green on and, and the, the, the conviction that would come. But it was all momentary. Until I actually came to a place of where I was sick of what I was doing. And I'd been watching Simon for a, a number of, of weeks and I thought, He's got what I want. And that's when I recommitted my life to Christ. Because I was a backslidden Christian. See, when you, when you chase things to fill the void, you're going to come up empty all the time. Because... That stuff has no eternal value. Your worth and value are measured by what you have rather than who you are. As Christians, we should be defined by the fact that we are created in God's image and we have incredible worth and dignity because of that. Not because of anything that we do or don't do, you know, one of the, the most revealing things that really helped me to come into a, a deep relationship with God was the fact that He loved me whether I was good or bad. He loved me whether I was doing good or doing bad. And I believe that that's, that's a key for someone in this room today. Because you're, you're trying to tick all the boxes with approval performance and it just doesn't cut it but when you come into a, an understanding that what God has done for you through Jesus Christ is incredible and it's got nothing to do with your unwholeness it'll actually set you free from your unwholeness consumerism Promises fulfillment, but it, it comes as an illusion because trying to, to get things never satisfies. Here's what it does. It inverts our values and changes our attitudes. I remember I was talking with Edith this morning about an offense that I, I carried for a while. And it happened, I thought it was 15 years ago, but it's actually closer to 30 years ago. We were in, in Jabiru at the time and we went into... Um, my brother and sister-in-law lived in, in Darwin. And uh, we'd only been up there a short time. And so we went into Darwin to have Christmas with my brother and sister-in-law. 
Now, they didn't have kids. We had Caleb. He was just a couple of months old. Anyway, we were there opening the presents and there's some more presents under the tree. I'm thinking, who are they for? Then they call the two dogs in and give the two dogs their Christmas presents. I tell you what, it just, it rocked my world. I had real difficulty coping with that. Now, I know that there's probably people in this room that you might give in this day and age, you might give gifts to your dogs. You know what? I'm okay with that. I've grown up a little bit. I've matured a little bit and I can grace you. But at that time, I just, I found it so difficult to cope with. And why do I say that? Because if someone from a third world country saw how we carried our lives or how we chased this consumerism thing, this material wealth, and how, how we, I guess, wasted it, they'd be really troubled. They'd, they'd think, man, these people have got priority issues. They are so out of whack. You know, another, another thing of, of where we, you know, <clears throat> lose our values. Turns things upside down. I heard a message once that talked about um, generosity and, and giving in the kingdom. It's actually, to, to be successful in the kingdom, it's upside down and back to front to the world's ways. Or we might better say that the world's ways are upside down and back to front to God's ways. Because to get ahead in the world, you, you, know, you bite, you fight, you kick and you scratch to get ahead and you don't care who you step on. But in the kingdom's ways, in God's ways, you're generous, you give, you're a servant to all. It's upside down and back to front. And so priorities are just all out of whack. You, you look at Easter time. Easter time is a, is a pinnacle time in the, in the Christian calendar. I encourage you. Park up outside Dan Murphy's on Thursday afternoon and just watch the loads and loads of grog that marches out of Dan Murphy's for the Easter weekend. People literally spend thousands on grog for that weekend. Now we can stand here and, and be in judgment but that's not going to help it. I want to encourage us to, I guess, step outside the box, as Brad was saying. Because because of the way that we've grown up, maybe we've, we've just taken on this, this judgmental attitude and and so forth to, to people who don't don't understand why they're living the way that they're living. 
See, when you're locked up in consumerism and, and this sense of entitlement, your attitude is that the world owes you something. The government owes you something. And that's not true. Another thing that consumerism does, and this is why it's so important that we we stand against that attitude in the body of Christ. It undermines family and it undermines the church. You look at the hours that we work these days. Back in my parents' day, shops weren't open, predominantly on the weekend. You shopped through the week. I mean, when we were growing up, we saw the weekend shopping and, and late night shopping on Thursday nights. But now we've, we've got 24-hour shopping, we've got online shopping, we've got, in the name of convenience, there's people now who are inconvenienced to offer convenience in the name of consumerism. And so there's people that don't have a choice anymore as to what shifts they work. And so you can see how that has impacted not only the church but also our family life. It's interesting, there was a, a, a poll done um, around about 2000, I think it was, of the things that um, brought stress to our life. What do you think would be the number one thing that would bring stress to a person's life? Answers came, you know, lack of money, um, expectations, pressures. Do you know what they deciphered was the number one contribution to stress? Conflicting priorities. Because we say we value health and yet we feed our bodies all of this junk food. We say that we value family and yet the average parents in the world spend less than five minutes a day with their children. So there's this conflict of priorities that actually works itself out in incredible stress because we're not living true to what we say that we are. You know, we see that busy lifestyles and, and time pressures, they take the place or, the, or they, they impact church attendance. We realised this um, probably two years ago when we were, were trying to do series at churches, at, at Set Free. It's, it's really difficult to do a series because people don't attend church weekly. You've got a, you've got a faithful um, core who do but then the ones who probably really need to hear that truth they might come and they might class regular church attendance as once every four weeks that's actually what statistics say now 
If you go to church once every four weeks, you are a regular churchgoer. And so, you know, those things are deteriorating. The researcher George Varner recently observed, he said, we are a designer society. We want everything customized to fit our personal needs. Our clothing, our food, our education, and yes, also our religion. Faith has become a consumer commodity and people shop amongst congregations. They want to go to places where they feel comfortable rather than spiritually challenged. They change church when they're not quickly gratified or when they encounter relational problems. You know, that's, that's one of the incredible hurts that a pastor carries and has to um, regularly deal with. There's people leaving the church. And a lot of the time, it, it's just over the smallest thing. pastor didn't say good day to me today. That's it. I'm out of here. Such an unfriendly church. And so I can I can relate with Brad when he he talks about you know as a as a leader of a of a community he's been hurt and even judgments made against those who lead churches. Yeah, we've got to have a short line on repentance and forgiveness. And as a result of that, it gets more and more difficult to actually help people in their unwholeness to overcome their unwholeness. Because pastors begin to be intimidated to say, to speak the truth. I want to say, we are passionate about speaking the truth here. And we want to, we want to speak the truth in love. But sometimes that's misconstrued. We can say all the right words and have all the right attitudes and people will still misconstrue it and get offended. Consumerism undermines the community and our character. You know, we see the increase in priority given to the marketplace what suffers? It's the community. You, how many people in here know really well their neighbours? A couple. A couple. One of the first things that we noticed when we came to the Gold Coast was the fences. We came from a mining town of where we had a little chain fence this high to keep a dog in. Our kids used to roam the streets going and visiting all, all of our friends. And they were what? Three and four? Two and three. We left our house open. Sometimes we would come home and find these people sitting down having a cup of coffee in our house. Waiting for us. Well, we just got sick of waiting, so we thought we'd make ourselves at home. 
Tell you what, that's, that's awesome. But you don't see that now. The first thing that we realized when, or recognized when we moved to the Gold Coast was the gates and the fences. The fences were wooden fences this high. I remember when at the first house that we lived in, in Gurulwyn Street, I was out the back one day um, in, the, in the yard and I, I saw a head moving in the yard out the back next door. So I thought, I'm a talker. Got a milk crate, stuck my head over the fence and said, G'day. And, and almost got accused of perving on them. I'm thinking, what? That's the society that we live in. The fences and the gates are saying something. This is my property. You're not welcome. And so that has an adverse effect on communities. To the point of where people are no longer citizens in a community, but consumers in a community. Citizens have relationships and duties and responsibilities within a community. Consumers don't. Consumers are just there to consume. They're partaking of an economy that they feel is providing for them. Citizens care about others and their community. Consumers only care, only care about what the society can provide to them. So how do we combat it? Well, I believe that the best way that we can combat it is to come in the opposite spirit. And one of the best ways to come in the opposite spirit regarding those things, consumerism and, and entitlement, is this sense of gratitude. Develop an attitude of gratitude. Practice thankfulness. Be thankful for what you have. Be thankful for what you don't have. I truly believe that gratitude is one of the greatest virtues that we can actually embrace. I regularly go up to um, Tambourine Mountain. Well, I haven't been up for a while, but it's one of the things on my to-do list this year is to re-engage in Fairhaven, which is a drug and alcohol rehab on Tambourine Mountain. I go up there on a Tuesday night for their chapel service. And I still remember one of the guys' um, graduating speeches who had been in and out several times. And one of the, the, the key factors for him going back in there time and time again was he began to resent, develop an attitude of resentment to what was going on around him. He began to lose his gratitude for what he had laid hold of. He began to get critical of what wasn't going right and what wasn't going his way. 
And in no time at all, when you begin to develop those things, when you allow those things in, you begin on a road that you don't want to go on. And I tell you what, that road is going to take you where you don't want to go. And it's going to keep you longer than what you want to stay. Gratitude is an incredible key. Gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It turns the little that we might have into more than enough. I mean, you think about that. You might have the just the tiniest amount of food on the on the dinner table. You can eat that begrudgingly and looking at the lack of what you don't have and you will remain hungry. Or you can celebrate what you do have and there is just something that takes place that you will actually have a sense of contentment that comes from the little that you have partaken of. It turns the little into enough. It turns denial into acceptance, chaos to order, confusion to clarity, a house into a home. You can criticize where you live and you will never be happy. You can embrace where you live and you can begin a journey into real contentment. There was a time when I was working as a diesel fitter on the Gold Coast, working on forklifts. Now, in my mind, forklifts are just the worst thing that you can ever work on because everyone drives them like racing cars. No one cleans them. They're just the filthiest machines and they're the most abused in the workplace. And I really resented my job. I had a difficult boss. And I I asked God time and time again, God, I need another job. And I'd look and there'd be nothing come up. And every time I asked him, this sense would come back to me, this is my provision for you. Stay. Then one day I was was just really miffed. And I had had a session with God. And basically, through my wife and God, this encouragement came. Change your attitude, Mal. Change your attitude. And I did. I wrestled with it. I changed my attitude. I went to work. I grabbed some oil. I anointed the walls, the doors. And I began to speak that this was a place where God was going to be honoured. I cleaned out the the smoker room of all the uh, girly magazines. And I stood up and made a stand for, for God. And you know what? That was probably about after eight months of working there. I continued to work there for another seven seven years 
I saw managers come and go. I saw heaps of fitters come and go. I saw three takeover, two takeovers of, of the company. I walked out of there on my terms. And I was an influencer in that company. Simply by changing my attitude and having a sense of gratitude for what God had provided for us. So one of the keys is get out and serve. If you begin to minister to someone that perhaps has a greater need than what you do, I'll tell you what, it just does something. At Set Free Care, we, we have the privilege of taking um, some of the transition, the, the guys from Fairhaven that are in transition housing. They come down to Set Free Care and they volunteer. And they come down and, and they're, they're, they're quite nervous and, and, um, and not confident at all. But after the first day of serving, they just love it. Because there's a principle in giving back. Because they have been, I, I guess, a parasite on society for, for so long in their addiction. When they come along to Set Free Care and begin to serve, it is it, it, it just it flicks the switch for them that they can actually appreciate their new life. They can actually appreciate their sobriety and begin to walk towards contentment, fullness and freedom. Nothing cures selfishness better than getting out and helping others in greater need than yourself. You know, this church, our community, we actually have a number of opportunities of where you can get involved and serve if you want. We have Set Free Care, which is our feeding program that operates on Thursdays. But Nola here, she runs a mission called PNG Missions. This lady does an incredible work. She sends a container a week, at least. A container a week to P&G and other places. That's it, of clothes, of which are all compacted and, and jammed into this container. Amazing, a container a week. But at the moment, she's got an incredible need. Over the Christmas holidays... They've just got mountains of stock that has come in. And they can't move the clothes quick enough. In fact, they're actually giving container loads away now for those that can pay the freight to get it up there. And that's, that's got to have a reflection on, on her ability to pay her bills and stuff. But you know what? I know that the generosity of God, when we operate in that capacity, it'll come back, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. 
So Nola has a warehouse in Molondina. And the beauty of Nola's operation is you can, you can go and volunteer there and, and, and sort through this mountain of clothes. You can give an hour, you can give three hours, you can give a whole day. You can give every day of the week if you want. But there's an opportunity there of where we can actually step into a place of, of servanthood and this morning, you know, maybe if you're, if you're struggling with where you're at in God, I want to encourage you, get off your backside. Get out and do something like that. Because I tell you what, it will bless you. It will actually just cause this, this thing to rise in, in, inside of you that is absolutely awesome. We're called to be salt of the earth. Matthew 5.13 and right through to 16 says that we are the light of the world as well. We're called to be ambassadors for Christ. One of the things that we've been passionate about here at our community ever since we've done the merge and also before we did the merge was we were passionate about going out. It's good to come to church. We need that. We get encouraged. But there's another six days of the week of where you can be an ambassador for Christ. And it's probably more being an ambassador for Christ on those six days than it is in this celebration time. We have to resist the temptations of consumerism that encourage us to just focus on ourselves, our needs, and what we don't have. In a society is, that is so steeped in consumerism as what we have, in some measure, in some way, the beginning of this journey is, is similar to a detox where we've actually got a detox off that whole consume, consume, consume mentality and step into a, a, an attitude of, of gratefulness, step into an attitude of how can I serve, how can I help? Lord, send me. I want the opportunity to step out. We teach people to want things that perhaps they didn't know that they wanted. I knew something was missing in my life. But exactly what it is that I wanted, I didn't know. Until I saw it. I saw it in someone else. And I knew exactly that that is what I was after. Because it was authentic, it was real. And I watched him for a couple of weeks trying to pick holes in him in his new life. What might be those things that perhaps people can engage in that they don't really know that they want? I believe worship is one of those things. You know, maybe this morning you came along here 
thinking, well, I've heard that they've got a pretty good band at our community. I'll come along and check it out. How good is it that the presence of God comes when we worship? How good is it that the presence of God impacts people in their position, in their state? Maybe they've come with every, every um, diligence to just sit and spectate. But then the presence of God comes and begins to nudge them out of that place of just spectating. And they actually want to experience. And that's the goodness of God, that he reaches out to us and just touches us right where we're at. You want to know some more good news? He meets you where you're at, but he's not going to leave you there. He desires that you come up into a wider space into a greater place of wholeness. Into real freedom. Leaving every bit of dysfunction behind. By experiencing the heart of God, we actually come into a place of where we realize that we can't live without Him. that we long for those times where we encounter him every day in corporate worship in personal devotion in ministering to others God is faithful God doesn't owe me anything <laughs> he doesn't owe me anything but everything that he gives me is good. It's fantastic, actually. Everything he gives me is amazing. Without recognizing the Holy Spirit in our lives, that participation that God has sent us a helper, a comforter in the Holy Spirit, we can tend to live our lives towards self-centeredness. One of the keys in, in continuing that freshness of that, the reality of that relationship that we have is humility. Humble yourself before the Lord and realize that if you don't have God in your life, you actually have nothing. Turn with me to Philippians 3. I want to close with this. Verses 7 through to 11. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. But indeed, I also count all things loss 
for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. What a great passage. It gives us hope. It gives us incredible hope that we can lay hold. Actually, Philippians 3, 12 to 14 goes on to talk about laying hold of those very things. One of the keys is not looking back, continuing to look forward, continuing to press towards the hope of what Jesus Christ has for each one of us. I tell you what, I believe that the mandate that God has given us at our community, it's a solid mandate. It's a mandate that reflects the very heart of God and his kingdom. It's a desire to see just the the, the manifestation of everything that is in the kingdom of heaven manifest here on earth. How? Through you and me. One of the incredible things when we encounter the love of God it always demands a response. Probably demand isn't the right word. But it challenges us to the point of where we need to respond. And regardless of your response does not change the love of God for you. tell you what if you respond I know that God is faithful and true and that he'll meet you right where you're at if you want to see transformation in your life if you've had a gutful of chasing after the things of this world that just leave you empty all the time there's a loving caring God who is just waiting waiting for your response. I wonder if we can stand. I want to ask if there's anyone here today 
that you realize that as you've been sitting here in this service, there's a response that you need to make. And that response is, in essence, surrendering your life. That wonderful life that you have of emptiness, brokenness. That life that you have that you're critical of. See, there's a wonderful principle in the Bible of where we bring everything broken, everything that's not right. We surrender it, we give it to God and He gives us beauty for our ashes. He gives us wholeness for our brokenness. If that's you today, I wonder if you would respond to Jesus today. Ask Him come into your heart recognize where you're at and do the deal respond by surrendering and allowing him to just change your life and transform it for the better if there's anyone here, I would love the opportunity to pray with you. But ultimately, it's your heart response that brings the transformation. Let's pray. If you want to today, just refresh I guess your attitude towards being a disciple of Jesus, towards Jesus being Lord in your circumstances and in your life. Be prepared to say, I surrender. Father, this morning we come Lord, there's so many of us that don't have a, a lot that is real attractive to bring to you. But God, you love us. And you long to take that which we bring. Take it from us. And to give us that resurrection life. That life abundance. That victorious life. So Lord, we surrender afresh this morning. We turn our backs on, on that attitude of entitlement. We turn our backs on, on chasing after the things of this world. And God, we embrace all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Coffee's done. Anyone, if you need prayer, we would love the opportunity to pray for you. Um, to agree with you if you need to get something off your chest then we have an altar out the front here you can just come and, and be before God or reach out to someone to come and pray with you that would be our privilege the billy is on at the back stick around for a coffee and some refreshments and get to know someone
God bless you.